Welcome to Wild and Woke Podcast, where every week we talk about strange, unusual, mysterious, true crime, unsolved, paranormal, creepy things, um, mm-hmm. including our listener stories. So if you're listening and you have a story, we absolutely want to hear it. And normally it is Caroline and I, but Caroline is on vacation this week. So I'm Susan and this is Chris. Hello. Hi. no idea what chris is talking about today it's a surprise um, it is a surprise yeah Which i'm interested like. in yours now though you're talking about some bad parents right after so I i'm just talking, got about talking about this, that so i'm yeah. talking about the serial killer that we kind of talked mm-hmm. about a little bit last week robert garrow mm-hmm. who was at who's actually classified as a spree killer rather than a serial killer right um partially because in the early 70s, the term serial killer wasn't being used yet. And partially because um, what he's convicted of are murders that were done all in a spree as opposed to a long line of serial killings. Hmm. Um, he's the one that we just touched on because um, he was in the same area of the people that I talked about that disappeared at the okay. same time they were there. So we just touched on him a little bit, and I was like, I have to read more about this person who faked paralysis and managed to escape. That's pretty interesting. So, um... Can I just interject? Because I actually want to say something that I... It's funny, because I'm actually talking about several serial killers today. Oh, good. So I'm going to drop a few names, and we'll see if you can figure out where I'm going, if it dawns on you. It's cool, but... What's the connection? Is there a connection between them? Is that the deal? There is. There is a lot of connections between them, so I'm... No. (laughs) Okay, so let's... All serial killers all day today. (laughs) It is, but this is... It it just touches on the serial killers, but it's it's kind of something that it has in common with yours, but... Uh, let me let me name drop. So let's see if you can figure this out. So we have Al Capone. Right. Okay. The Birdman of Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. Mr. Robert Stroud. Mm-hmm. And George Machine Gun Kelly. They were all imprisoned at Alcatraz. They were all imprisoned at Alcatraz. Your girl has a little love for Alcatraz. Well, I am definitely going into Alcatraz today. So we are going to talk about the full history of Alcatraz and the Spanish Wars, the Indian invasion, all kinds of cool stuff. So I'm so excited. Yeah, um, me too. So I, I actually, wa- one of the things that I have, have in my like list of things that I want to do an episode on um, are people who escaped from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. So we will definitely do that on an episode that you're on. Okay, so then I won't even touch on that because I want to do... No, do! I want to hear... No, no, no. That's, I uh, haven't I'll, researched... I mean, I've researched it a little... Enough to know that it's, like, episode-worthy, but not enough to, like... So touch on it. Do it. Okay, Wait, well, I didn't I didn't want to go super in-depth with a lot of it. Just a general knowledge about Alcatraz and what, what's kind of going on with it because yeah. it's changed hands a lot. And there's been a lot of different um, involvements with different wars and... All kinds of stuff. And I don't so know cool any story. of this history. I know, I mean, I lo- I'm fascinated by Alcatraz. Um, 
from way back. And then I have seen the movie The Rock like one million mm-hmm. times. Of course. That's because the, the line, amount. losers yeah. whine about their best and winners go home and fuck the prom queen is one of the best lines ever written ever. Mm-hmm. As is later when Nick Cage says, I drive a Volvo, a beige one. <laughs> okay, you're a little more geeky about Alcatraz than I am as far as I, the movie. Well, okay, I'm real geeky about that movie. I'm comes, geeky about that's a I'm good real movie. geeky about movies. Yeah. Period. That's a great movie though. It, I mean it truly is. Sorry. No, you're fine. Do your thing. She needed to answer her. She, my friend just called and I was like, mm, recording podcast, we'll call Oh, that. you're No, do your, do your thing. So that's, I can tell you, like, since you talked so, about the people that have escaped. So do we want, so who's going first today? You want me to go you, first? No, wanna I want to hear yours. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we know a little bit about Robert Garrow in that, because we talked about him last week, that he was, um, there was a man, a pretty pretty large manhunt for him in 1973. It wasn't just a pretty large manhunt. It's the largest manhunt in New York state history. Mm. It lasted for almost two weeks. And um, the only reason that it really wasn't national news, like it probably would have been at any other time is that during the same time period, what was in national news was Watergate and Vietnam War. Hmm. So because of those two things, it kind of overshadowed something that otherwise would have been a pretty huge national news story. Not that it mm-hmm. wasn't, but it just, there was so much going on at the time. It's always but, convenient. Something always takes precedent over something really important. True. Um, it was definitely like the biggest thing happening in that part of the country. And people were really freaked out about the fact that, I mean, obviously this person who's murdered four people or had, they knew he murdered two people was suspected of two additional people was just running around in the woods in the Adirondacks. Like, first of all, I love that word. And I love that it's a chair. Adirondacks. Yeah. Right. It's a a chair. It's an escapee Um, for murderous route. It's an escapee. So, okay, so Robert Garrow was born in 1936. He was born in upstate New York. He had five siblings. He had one brother who died at a really early age. I'm not sure, like, doesn't sound like in childbirth, but very young. And another brother, actually the oldest, was given away at birth. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows where he ended up. His father was a mine worker and an extremely heavy drinker who was abusive to his children. But his mother apparently was incredibly abusive and was known just by people in town for being hostile and generally a pretty horrible person. One of his sisters described her as an an extremely cruel person. She said she was a violent and unforgiving woman who beat her children and displayed little compassion or understanding for any of them. Wow. Yeah. So parenting. uh, Right. So not only was he abused, his siblings were also abused and Mm -hmm. have confirmed how, how severely he was abused. She would beat him 
with whatever she happened to have near her, including a crowbar or on one occasion, even a brick. She at one, at least on one occasion, beat him until he was unconscious Mm. um, with a piece of stove wood. And his sister thought that he might be dead and threw water on him to try to wake him up. Wow. So not only was he abused as a child, he had significant head injuries, which is also something that's extremely common among killers. Some some kind of mental alteration. Yeah. I mean... It, something makes you snap at some point. And right. the fact that you actually have a brain that is more susceptible to issues. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, and a brain that wasn't allowed to... De- I mean, never mind. A brain that wasn't allowed to emotionally develop. Correct. There was no emotional connection, right? Right. So, what With, emotions? Because of that yeah. abuse. But on top of that, like, a physical damage done to his brain that will change. I mean, that changes right. how your brain's able to develop as well. Well, also in the, on touching on that, like, again, you're talking about the time period you said he was born in the thirties, right? Mm-hmm. So during his, uh, you know, youth years growing up, the medicine in the day wasn't as far along as it is now. So he wouldn't have been, actually treated as somebody who needs help no i mean concussion i don't know i mean even 15 years ago the way that we were dealing with concussions like as sports injuries was different than the way they're dealt with now Hmm. okay that's I'm, i'm speaking in terms of of like um mental illness diagnosis sure versus that too the fact that a lot of people still don't revere it as as a real disability yeah. or a real thing like you, yeah, you've got to be kidding me that's it's and and specifically speaking i have spoken to a lot of russian people who say even in russia that's it, it, not a thing it's not a real thing that's how they wow. perceive it it's not something you can even study so the the guy that I was that was my um, psychologist, he is Russian. He moved from Russia because he couldn't study psychology and medicine because they don't view it as a medical. real medical. Medical, yeah. Yes, and I was just like, wow, wow. that's insane. Their, that their whole insane. view on it is just quit acting like that. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> can you? I'm can you sorry. Just not- could you just stop? That'd be great. Thanks. Yeah, just my bad. So not only was he being physically and emotionally abused, um, when he was seven, he started working on neighbors' farms, and his mother collected his pay. So he was basically treated like an, slave. a yeah. slave. Yeah. And then um, when he was nine, his sister says that her father gave him away to a farmer in a different town where he worked until he was about 15. When he was 15, he was ultimately sent away to reform school. So Sure, because how dare you act like that after everything we've done for you? Yes. Um, so he spent most of his time alone with no interaction with his family and basically being treated like property. He admitted 
to engaging in bestiality with the animals on the farms as early as starting as early as when he was 10. Mm. Um, he says, he was quoted as saying, I had no friends. I never used to play. I didn't know. I, um, this is a quote. I didn't know no children or anything. Of course I had to fool around with calves, horses, cows, you know, of course, like, you know, wait, no, no, we don't collectively no we don't sir. actually know that i've um, <laughs> never been in that situation but that's how i mean he says you know as though he doesn't understand that no no one knows that that's not a normal thing because he didn't know any people he didn't he didn't have anyone he didn't have people he didn't even have humans <laughs> around him never mind his own family you have nobody yeah yeah he and his, he, when he was 15, he was sent to reform school after a physical fight with his father, which I'm like, bro, your kid punched you in the face once. He's 15. Like, that's going to happen. Mm, I still feel like, no, that's not okay. It's not okay, but like boys <laughs> fighting with their, getting in a fight with, didn't you, did you not get in a fight with your dad at least once? I never punched him. My dad would have beat my ass so hard. Most, I swear, most men I know have been in at least one, like, if not, like, a full-on, like, fight, at least, like, a pushing, shoving match with their dad, and I just kind of feel like that's a thing that happens. Okay, so I will, since you since you put it in that context, I will say my, <laughs> I did provoke my dad once enough to grab me, like, by the throat and kind of pick me up, up against the wall. I, I swear, I, I don't think I know one man who doesn't have at least one story like that. Like, I think that's just a thing that you kind of have to do at some point. And in this case, given that he's, like, given him a way to work for other farmers, like, he punched you in the face and you sent him to reform school. Like, you're lucky he didn't kill you. Okay, but facts. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, he, <laughs> he was released from reform school a year later, and joined the Air Force. You know what? He was trying to do good. He was trying uh, to get his life on track. You know... Or he was pushed in that direction. I, it, I'm, it's hard to know. I'm going to say pushed by reform probably. school. If he was in reform school against his will, he was probably coerced into the Air Force. I'm guessing that... It, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, like, there are definitely situations where it's like you can go to jail or you can join the military. Exactly. They don't do that so much anymore, I don't think. No, they do. Do they, they still, really? Yeah, it's still It seems a thing. like the military's gotten a lot pickier than they used to be. <sighs> you think? I think they've become very lax with their rules compared to what they used to be. The standards and the different things, because now they allow, uh, for one big thing women and homosexuals any sort of uh you know before they didn't allow that if you were found to be homosexual or a woman you were just done you're out that's true but what they've gotten a lot stricter on is things like prior convictions and um mm. like especially if you have any kind of um if you've had any kind of drug arrest i think that's like a yeah they don't they don't fuck with drugs yeah. Which I think is strange. I mean, compared to everything else they do, like 
I don't. They I only don't. fuck with the drugs they give you against your will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a strange place. Uh, it is so strange. But it's a good so life. I, I have a friend retiring in two years. No, three years. She retires in three years, right out of high school. It'll be her. Yeah, right there. Three years, I think, is uh, is her retirement, and that's that's crazy. And she's My in Hawaii. Been retired for about a year and a half. Yeah. From the Air Force. That's her. She's retiring from the Air Force in Hawaii. Her and her husband, they both got married. They both enlisted at the same time, and they're retiring. Yeah. Like, what? Okay. Good Get for them. No joke. You're going to retire at, like, 39 and be done. And, and please enjoy Hawaii. You know what? Please tell her to enjoy Hawaii. Like, and enjoy don't become a serial killer. I There's, like, that. you put up... While part of me is like, so you get to just retire when you're like not even 40. The other part of me is like, okay, but here's the thing. I would never have put up with 20 years of that. So she did a desk. She's like a, one of the main people in, I, I don't know what exactly her title is, but she's indoors. That She doesn't ever go anywhere or anything. She's needed for her, whatever she is indoors. There's still a lot of bullshit that military has to deal with that I would not oh, yeah. do well oh. with. I mean, like, I don't take orders well. Mm-hmm. Just for starters. like. For sure. I'm not, that's what I'm not good with you thing. have to do this because we said so. Like, oh, really? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that was one of his selling points because I wanted to join the Air Force with her right out of high school. A bunch of us mm-hmm. were doing it because um, September 11th had just happened uh, two years prior. So I graduated in 03. Obviously, I watched it happen in my yeah. Spanish class at school. And a bunch of my friends enlisted. I had a lot of friends die over there. It was kind of crazy. But I wanted to. And my dad was like, first of all, you don't listen to anyone. (laughs) And, like, you will have a horrible time there. Second of all, you're going to die. And I was like, okay, I guess not. Yeah, that was a rough time to be joining. Mm -hmm. For sure. I was going to do it. I was close. Very, very close. I had talked to everybody, had the paperwork ready to go. All I had to do was sign it. He talked me out of it. Good job, Dad. Way to be. Maybe. Now you just have someone that's a horrible influence to society. (laughs) (laughs) I could have been straight-laced, Dad. Who knows? Way to be, Dad. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still on Dad's side on this one. I'm with him. Okay. So, Robert Garrow did not exactly have a great time in the military. He um, apparently had a lifelong issue with bedwetting <laughs> that no one, he managed to keep a secret until he was in the military. So, obviously that didn't go well for him. He also um, stole money from a sergeant and was court-martialed. And sentenced to six months in military prison in Florida, which he escaped from. Fun fact, Alcatraz was a military prison. Yeah. Um, And then was sentenced to an additional year in a military stockade in Georgia. So he was discharged, obviously, after that. He had only spent two years in the military, and the majority of it was in jail. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> in um, jail. In the so he went back to upstate New York 
but didn't have really never was able to maintain stable employment. He got fired for stealing in multiple places, just basically an antisocial person in general, which, you know, when you grow up with literally no one around you, Mm -hmm. bound to happen. Somehow in 1957, he managed to get married, which I have questions. No, there's someone for everyone. This There's man no was literally carrying an entire suitcase filled with red flags. Oh, yeah. But yeah, somebody... But people write like, to folks in prison and be like, will you marry me? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're... it's crazy. I have some theories about that. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, that's a good episode, too. That might be a good episode. Um, so... They moved to Albany. And... He got another job in a fast food restaurant and then was arrested for burglarizing the store. Sure. They did have one child um, sometime between 1957 and 1961. Mm. In 1961, he was 25 and was arrested for raping a teenage girl after um, assaulting her boyfriend, knocking her boyfriend out. And... He did try to get away again. There was a a little mini manhunt for him at this point um, because he was trying to avoid being arrested and got into a, I don't, it says that they fired several shots at him. It looks like he wasn't shot at that point. Mm -mm, That time. (laughs) Um, And he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years. He was actually in prison for eight years and was released in 1968. Makes sense. He was a good guy. Sure. I mean, look, <laughs> you know. <sighs> He's good. He didn't kill the guy. He just raped it. Uh, look, I don't know. Bill Cosby didn't get parole. That's true. Um, I, the ridiculous sentences for rapists is just, that's like a... I don't understand. I agree. I agree. I think that's crossing so many different layers of boundaries. It's unreal. And on it is unreal. That, rapists are so commonly progressed to additional violent crimes. They have to. That's what the they do to keep uh, that those endorphins. You know, exactly. they want the rush. So well, so that's exactly what happened with him. Um, he. Managed to stay off of it. This is, he worked at a bakery and managed to stay out of trouble. I'm just going to say he worked at a bakery and managed to not they get caught catch or him? anything. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Because I'm not convinced that between 1968 and 1972, he actually stayed out of trouble. I'm thinking he just didn't get caught. Because I don't, like, starting from about the time he was nine, there's, like, not a time that he wasn't doing something <laughs> he could be arrested or for. Or in prison, yeah. So, um, he was arrested in 1972 on unlawful imprisonment charges. He had tied up two female college students, but they mm. refused to press charges. I don't know why they what? refused to press charges. Okay, probably, probably some threats to family or something like that. If they're college students, they're young. Yeah. yeah. Um, or just the fact that they would have to testify. Sometimes that prevents people from wanting to press charges because they don't want to have to testify. True. Um, 
In 73, he was accused of a, of a sexual assault on two young girls. After he was released on bail, he disappeared and didn't show up for his his court date for that issue. Go figure. Like Of course. Um, so that's actually when he, he became a fugitive for not showing up for that court date before he actually went on a killing spree. So starting in July in 1973, and this is what we've kind of already talked about. So I'm going to not get into the details of it too much. Mm -hmm. This is when he, um, went on a killing spree. He attacked, um, I'm not sure which order this goes in. There were four campers that he attacked and killed one of them. Two of them were still, he still had them tied up when one of them managed to escape. And initially when he got, when one of them escaped and got to where he could tell somebody what was happening, people didn't believe him. Well, it's a wild story. Like it a straight out of a movie. Oh, you know what? In the 70s, too? You're talking about what? Um, what What was the Camp Crystal Lake, Jason? Was that the 70s? I don't think that had come out yet. I think that's late 70s. Because mm. this okay. is 73. I want to say that didn't come out until either early 80s Maybe or like 80s. 78. Maybe the 80s for that. I'm going to look that up. Keep, keep going. But one of the things that I read was talking about the fact that um, the kid they were all teenagers like just graduated from high school and they basically just thought he was a hippie and didn't believe anything he said. Mm. Cause you know, if you're a hippie, it's okay. If you get attacked by a crazy 100%. person. 1980, oh. May 9th, 80. 1980. Uh, close. Yeah. There so you go. he ends up, he does end up. So, he has four murder victims that he was actually convicted of two of the campers and then a couple. No, I take it back. Sorry. One of the campers, a 16 year old girl who was initially reported as a missing person. And then a couple that he attacked and the boy, the male was found first and the female was actually still considered missing when he was arrested. Hmm. So, this is where this splits off into a whole other thing that I had no. So we did talk about before I get into post arrest, we talked about the fact that he led, you know, he was part of this manhunt that lasted 12 days in the Adirondacks. He was ultimately apprehended after he was shot by a parks officer. Yeah. And I read something interesting that said that the state troopers were actually not thrilled with the fact that, he had been shot because okay. their goal was to apprehend him without oh, any damage. Yeah. He's valuable at that point. Right. Mostly because he had a missing victim. So they didn't want, they, they were trying to capture him and also either find, get the location of a body or find out if she was still being held somewhere. Okay. In the process of all this, though, he involved um, he involved his family. He ended up at one of his sister's houses, mostly because he, in the process, had lost his glasses and went to his went to a sister 
and got told asked the sister to call his wife to get the wife to get his wife to send a pair of glasses so that he would have glasses and at that point his wife said yeah no this is going on too no. long i'm not doing that <laughs> yeah no she was like, they were like trying to talk in code and the wife basically was like, yeah, this call's being recorded and um, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> so when they discovered where he was before he was shot, he actually, um, he was hiding in the woods near his sister's house and they were, they followed a nephew who was taking him food. Okay. So I guess it's worth mentioning he was kind of, he's kind of a big guy, stocky guy. 5'11", weighed 210 pounds, so not a small person. No. Um, so it makes sense that he was able to capture multiple people. Mm-hmm. Just his presence, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like, I guess you, would, you wouldn't necessarily think that you could get away. So after he's arrested, he requests the request that the court assign his public defender as a, an attorney that has represented him in the past. Okay. This poor guy gets caught up in this ordeal that actually I had no idea is actually still taught in law school. Like this case is used as, as an example in law schools because it was such a huge um, controversy as far as attorney client privilege goes. Okay. While he was in the hospital, after having been shot and ultimately captured, his lawyers go to talk to him, and he ends up telling them the location of the, the girlfriend of the, of the boy who was found killed, and of another girl who was who they didn't know was even tied to him at that point. He told them the locations of both of those bodies. Okay. Of course, they immediately start trying to figure out what are their options. Because they now have this information, especially about this, the missing girl who was only 16, who wasn't even tied to him at that point. But they decide there's, after they talk about it and they start, you know, they go back and read law and read, you know, everything that they're supposed to do they're like they decide there's no we can't tell anybody right because this is attorney client privilege it's about a crime that's already been committed if it were like a threat to commit a crime in the future they could report that and would be required to report it but because it's something that's already happened right they can't tell anybody but at first they're not sure they believe him so they decide they to go and tell? Look for the oh, no, okay okay awesome so they go and look for the bodies and find them. Oh my god! Yeah, this was a mistake in my opinion. Like, don't go look. Don't for do them. that. <laughs> so they do find the bodies, but they still can't tell anybody. Okay. They try going to the prosecutor and using it. To, they figure the only thing that they can do is try to use it for a plea bargain. Okay. They can tell them that they have information that they can share in return for a plea bargain. And they, they figure that that's the only way that they can give the parents of these girls some closure 
without violating privilege. But the prosecutor basically tells him to fuck off. And the prosecutor tells him, you're obstructing justice and we'll prosecute you. Because now they have this information, yeah. Right, except legally they can't share it. So it turns out they're completely wrong, um, the prosecutor, that is. And the only charge that they ever file against them is filed against one of the attorneys. And it's related to a public health statute regarding reporting the location of a dead body. Mm. But the charges are ultimately dropped because the court says that was it was privileged information. He couldn't attorney client. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and apparently this case is still is used in law schools now as a real life example of how you might be given information that you cannot share no matter how much you really want to share it. And it kind of it it destroyed both of them. Sure. Um one of his attorneys is at least um I think during, let's see, when was this article written? This was actually just written in April of this year. So one of the attorneys is still alive and he's like 93. But the other one um, quit practicing law, moved away, and essentially drank himself to death at age 63. Mm -hmm. And it was completely related to the fact that they had been involved in this situation, that they were, they had this information and these girls parents were looking for them and they couldn't tell anybody that they knew right. where they that they were not not only that they were dead but where their bodies were where they were yeah so um the bodies were ultimately found actually not all that long after um they found within a year of them being told where the bodies are they were actually found completely separately one of the girls though um is found by teenagers. This goes back to like we just we're just not believing people when they tell us things. <laughs> yeah, okay. This group of kids found the 16-year-old girl's body. And actually wait. Which body did they find? They find one of the bodies. <laughs> and they tell their parents. And their parents don't believe them. So they start taking their friends to see it. Why do parents believe there. anything? And their parents don't believe them. (laughs) So, like, two weeks after this, one parent finally is like, fine, okay, show me where it is. And they take her to it. And then she calls the police. (laughs) Like, look, if your kid tells you I found a dead body, maybe just check it out. Just to be like, hey, uh, all right, let's go look. (laughs) Or save yourself the situation and just call the police. Call the cops. Yep. I don't want to see it. Yeah. So, there is speculation that this, that Garrow may be responsible for as many as 27 murders. Mm. Um, one of them in particular was actually in Ontario. And the MO California was or Canada? Canada. Okay. Um, not not terribly far from where he lived in upstate New York, apparently. Gotcha. I'm not good with any geography, but I'm especially not good with Canadian geography. 
Yeah. Like, it's north Same. and it's probably frozen. That's all I know. If it's in Canada, it's it's Canada. And exactly. that's all I know. That's literally all I know. So, yeah. Thanks. Um, but this, apparently this is not terribly far from where he was in upstate New York. And the description of the person who was seen nearby was, like, exactly the same. Um, okay. Down to the fact that he was balding, the fact that he, the type of glasses that he wore. So, like I said, I find it hard to believe that he had any period of time that he was just, like, where just he was not working yeah. in a bakery, being a good guy. Like, I don't think he was ever a good guy. <laughs> just um, baking cakes. It's yeah, always just, rainbows. Yeah. Um, the thing I did not find any more specific information about was how his son managed to smuggle him a gun and a bucket of chicken. Sure. And That's I'm a tough one. Fascinated. I wanted to hear this so bad, too. Me, too. <laughs> That's what I was really excited about is, is finding out how this happened. Same. So I do know that he... When he cla- he claimed that after he was shot by the parks officer, that's when he became paralyzed. Mm-hmm. But doctors, I, I, this is one thing that I w- wondered about. I'm like, did nobody like check? Apparently, the doctors that were treating him said he's not paralyzed. This is a Ricky Bobby moment. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow he still used that. He was going to sue because he was shot. Of course. And they managed to trade with him that they will put him in a medical facility, essentially, or like a medium security rather than maximum security. Okay. If he will not, if he'll drop the lawsuit. So he manages to pull that off. And then gets himself moved to an elderly and handicapped care section of the facility where he was, which is how he managed to escape and then ultimately was shot and killed after that escape. Which Um, is probably what should have just happened a long time ago in reality. Right. Um, There is a book um, that was just that just recently came out called Sworn to Silence. That is about this whole case. It was written by Jim Tracy, who was a reporter who wrote a series of articles about this case some time ago. But what's really interesting about him is that he has a personal connection mm. because during the 1973 manhunt. Garrow broke into his family's, um, I guess, like a hunting cabin that was in the in that area of the Adirondacks. And when he was arrested, he was actually still wearing clothes that he had stolen from their cabin. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's just like so many like intersecting circles in this whole <laughs> situation. What a so, strange guy, though. What a what a eventful life he's lived oh well yeah true among other things yes Uh, yeah so after reading this i have to say that i think 
I think he could have been the one that killed those kids. Yeah. I'm I mean, yeah. He has to, I, I thought so already. I mean, I kind of did, but I was like, I mean, what are the chances? But like after reading more about him, um they're pretty high. The pretty odds, good. Yeah. I'd I'd give it a solid 80% chance that he probably did these murders. I think you might be right because I mean he was in the area, he was absolutely routinely hunting and killing people and or um, kidnapping and doing random things like geez just stop why are you tying people up bro just stop <laughs> just stop um and on top of that if they were you know he stole cars semi-regularly had mm-hmm. cars available if they were hitchhiking like that would have been all too easy to pick them up and drive them to some secluded place in the woods and kill them and tell no one ever ever Mm. Yeah, the fact so. that he already had at least one that the police didn't know about. Right. Like, let's let's go ahead and say that that's pretty typical because that usually happens too when serial killers start confessing. Mm-hmm. Usually, they find out more information about things that they didn't know. So yeah, exactly. It's, pretty, it's interesting, and they always confess yeah. more than they should. Yes. Um, of course, in that case, they couldn't. I guess they. I don't know exactly how that ultimately ended up being how he was ultimately convicted of those. I guess there must've been enough evidence since the lawyers couldn't release the information. Mm. That's a whole other, but he was ultimately convicted for four murders, but there's speculation that he might've actually killed as many as 27 people. Yeah. There's so many more 27. That's big. 27 is a lot. Yeah, that's uh, I would I would just call that a serial killer. I wouldn't classify him as a serial killer. I definitely yeah. think that he probably was a serial killer, even though he is only convicted of a spree killing. And like I said, I mean, in that part of the seven that time in the seventies, serial killer wasn't a term mm-hmm. that was being used yet. Who was the first serial killer? I don't know. Ed Kemper? I would would think you knew. Let's look it up. Well, who was the first serial killer or who was the first person to be called a serial killer in that term? First person to be labeled a serial killer. Because Albert Fish was a serial killer, but he was like way like decades before the term serial killer. Robert Ressler pioneered the practice of criminal profiling and is credited with coining the term serial killer. And that was, that was in the mid to late 70s, I think. Let's see. 1974. Yeah. He used the term serial homicide in 1974 in a lecture at Police Staff Academy in Bramshill, New Hampshire, England, United Kingdom. And there you go. He was an FBI investigator. And if you want to know more about him without, like, just reading, there's a Netflix series called Mindhunter, which is based on... It's a great show. It is a great show. I love that show. And the guy that they got to play Ed Kemper in that show was freaky good. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he looks so much like Kemper. Now let's see. Which Kemper is like probably the serial killer that I find most fascinating. Yeah. Mhm. 
because he turned himself in multiple times because the first time he turned himself in, nobody believed him. Mm. He was like, yeah, no, I'm the person you're looking for. And the cops were like, Ed, oh, Ed, you are not. So who did you say the first one probably was? I Well, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Kemper because I know that um, I know that Kemper was one of the people that they that the FBI used kind of as a source to investigate serial killers. Like, he cooperated with them as far as, like, helping them to profile serial killers in general. Okay. So the first person that the uh, is widely considered the country's first serial killer is Herman Mudgett. I know that name. He axe murdered his family, right? He is H. H. Holmes. Oh, H. H. Holmes. Oh, yeah. Goes by the by name of Herman Mudgett, born in 1861, Gilmanton, yeah. New Hampshire. Died 1896 in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Built an entire hotel in order to murder people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Widely considered the country's first known serial killer. Yeah. And that's that's what they so of course now that the term has been coined, yeah. Now they assign that to Yeah. So interestingly, there's a theory that H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper are the same person. Yes. Yes. So so here's here's the thing about it. The the Ripper murders, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's what they're saying, though. But they're saying that Jack the Ripper was not the first serial killer. So that's a lot of the information that comes up is that a lot of people don't think he was the first serial killer. So if that's the case, how could they be the first, uh, the same person? I mean, they could be the same person. Here's my thing. The timelines work well enough that they could possibly be the same person. I mean, okay. Well, he was the first person to create like a worldwide presence around like Which serial one? killing. Jack the Ripper. The Ripper? Yeah. 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 So the Ripper murders were the first like worldwide frenzy. But yeah. then how uh, you think H.H. H. Holmes is I think it's possible. I don't know if I think I mean, I don't know that there is enough information to determine if they're the same person, but from everything okay. I've read, the timelines work. He okay. could have been in London when the Ripper murders were happening. And absolutely, that was kind of his M.O. as far as, like, just really, really violent murders and not really being that concerned about being caught. Right. And if you're into um, nonfiction... There's a novel by Eric Larson called Devil in the White City. That's White? about Devil in the White City. White. White. Yeah. Reminds me of Wheat Thins. <laughs> um, his novels are really... They, I say novel. It's, it's a nonfiction novel, but they're written... He storytells really well within nonfiction. And okay. it's about the... Um, Chicago World's Fair that was happening at the same time that H.H. H. Holmes was building, constructing his murder hotel and killing people. 
Okay. The so here's here's what I have found then. So okay. If you actually basically lay these timelines on top of each other, mm-hmm. the answer is no. You don't so think? It, it, no. So here's here's how you pick it apart. Okay. Okay. None of the evidence is anything more than speculative. Okay. True. So it's nearly or, or circumstantial. about both of them and overall because there wasn't the evidence being collected wasn't anything like what we would expect to see collected now. Okay. So you know have you heard of the dear boss letter? Yes. Okay, so they're saying a lot of people believe that that was not written by the killer, um, that it was a journalist or local Mm -hmm. looking to create more action so that that wasn't even real. And here's the thing. So it says Holmes was a very common name in the 19th century. This does not prove that H.H. Holmes of the murder castle was in England at the time of the Ripper killings. No. Holmes was also known to go by different names. His real name was Herman Webster Mudgett, which could be a coincidence that another H. Holmes was traveling to America in 1891. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's no... There's nothing that that indicates that they absolutely were. I'm just saying, like, it's not. There's, there's nothing that says evidence. it's impossible that okay. they, that he couldn't have been in London. He was known to travel overseas. He was known to travel. And there's no like, there's nothing that proves for sure that he wasn't there any more than there is anything that proves that he was. I'm just saying it's still a possibility. Well, here's and the biggest interesting. thing. This is the biggest thing, the biggest reason why I say no. Okay. So they touch on this, and Holmes essentially killed to gain money from his victims. He gained the life insurance money from a lot of his victims, and that's why he did it. Okay? He was very greedy. He was very profit-driven. Oh, here's the thing. On that... Because he also built an entire hotel to allow him to murder people and conceal their bodies. Yes. That's not strictly money. Not strictly money. But why are you concealing bodies when the Ripper does not conceal bodies? Um, Also this. Yeah. There was no financial gain for the Ripper in any of his murders. Not a single one. He did not murder for the same reason. Maybe he just went on vacation to London to murder people for fun. Murder people differently? Yeah. He was oh, he was just there to blow money in London. Again, not I'm not saying I think it. that they absolutely are the same person. I just think it's an interesting theory. And it's interesting that there's nothing that disproves proves it. that they could oh, that like okay. it's not like you could say like, well no, he was in he was in jail in Chicago right. during part of that time or something right. like you could absolutely account for Holmes being in one place while the Ripper was killing somebody in another place. Mm-hmm. It's still possible. And it's an interesting theory. And I'm mostly interested in the fact that um, his ancestors were at least one was one of the people who was really involved in researching that theory. It's very. I don't know that they were 
the same person. There's a lot of reasons for yes, and there's a lot of reasons for no. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just an interesting theory. But it is I an interesting hear theory about Alcatraz. Well, I really like your story now. I feel like that. <laughs> I, I want to talk about murderers. Like, can I mean there are lots of murderers mm, in Alcatraz, but I want to hear what you were going to tell me about Alcatraz. There's a lot about Alcatraz. So I I wanted to do Alcatraz because. Um, well, obviously I've been there. Uh, it's a California thing. If you're right. here, you need to go to Alcatraz and um, just check it out. So a little history on Alcatraz is that, let me move your little bubble. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. So, excuse me. So the term Alcatraz, is it actually comes from um, a Spanish term, which was pronounced like Alcatraz. So that did not mean what people thought it meant. And well, <laughs> they named the island actually wrong. So, well, sure. <laughs> Leave so it to the, the white island, people. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So let's go down. Let's see. Let me go down to this because I'll give you the first documented history. The first um, documented history of the islands of San Francisco Bay. It was a Spanish naval officer, explorer, Juan Manuel de Ayala. Okay. That's during the Spanish rule of California. This is before California owned any of this. So California was not an American territory. I'm sorry, before America owned California. Gotcha. California was still controlled by Mexico. It was still okay. Spanish territory at this point. So this was 1775. This homie was out here cruising the harbor, <laughs> plotting it, drawing maps like Dora. He names the harbor, okay, he names this island Yerba Buena Island. And he, which is today's name, essentially, uh, Yerba Buena Island, right? But he calls it La, La Isla de los Alcatraces, which is the island of pelicans. So if you've ever been to Alcatraz, there's a ton of pelicans there. Just a shit that. ton. They hang out there all the time. So this is a real thing. This is what he named it for and then over time people just shortened that down to alcatraz but it is it's really pelican island essentially so does alcatraz just mean pelican so when we say alcatraz we're just saying pelican well it's not even the real word they they really changed it you know what i mean it's not pronounced the same and it's not it's just essentially the slang for uh pelicans because the the real translation is the island of gannets which Mm. is different so it's it's the island of the pelicans is basically what he has named it but essentially over the years from the archaic spanish at the time it has been just labeled alcatraz now so you know that's an american thing we do that oh yeah we change other people's history all the time it's whatever (laughs) we we change ours all the time it does we don't even know what we're doing so it's okay ourselves at this point Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay, so in at this point, right, 1775, this island is being charted, blah, blah, blah. 
the name uh, is later applied actually as Alcatraz on this map, and that's why it has developed into that. So um, the guy that did that's name was Captain Frederick Beachy, and he was an English naval officer and explorer. So what happened then at that point is once... Let me okay. Let me say this. June 1846. Let's go with this. There's a guy contracted to build a lighthouse on the, on this what they still call the rock at that point, right? So he's a personal friend of the people that own it at that time. Blah blah blah. The guy in 1846, later in the year, um, he is acting at military governor of California, right? Okay. So he buys the island for five thousand dollars from from the Spanish. I mean, I know that was a whole lot then, but that's a lot. But here, this is my thing. Somebody just built a house there, called it a day. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I still don't understand why they that that the Spanish territories is selling an island. In the middle of Spanish territories to the government, like what are you doing? What are you? That's, that's a real weird. good question. Okay, so so like it was wasn't even a lot at the time. They were just like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, whatever, you can buy it. <laughs> sure. How much money? <laughs> yeah. And you guys are gonna you're gonna make your own money, and it's gonna be good. Okay, we'll take it. Sure. Sure. Why not? Why not? <laughs> so the guy buys the island for five grand in the name of the government, from from the guy Francis Temple. So in 1850, we have President Millard Fillmore, Mm -hmm. who orders Alcatraz to be set aside specifically for a military reservation. So whatever this is, this is for military purposes. And this happens, of course, uh, based upon the acquisition of California from Mexico. So. So fast forward, blah, blah, blah. Following that acquisition, um, the Treaty of Guadalupe in 1848. So remember, this was just all in a few years because 1846, this random guy buys it from from the Spanish for the government, right? A couple years later, we signed the Treaty of Guadalupe and now take over California. So this well, that's is a little suspicious. It is a little suspicious. A little suspicious. This ends the Spanish-American War, the whole Treaty of Guadalupe. And they had plots for this to be a military base two years before this. There's just a lot of things on... Yeah. There's a lot of strange things about the government since the history of the government. Like, what are you guys even doing? You have so (laughs) many plots. Nobody even knows. (laughs) <laughs> like five thousand dollars, and then we take the whole ass state from you. Well, and why would they sell? Why would they sell an island? I feel like at that point, fighting? yes, I like, feel like sell at you that this point, island so that you can build a fort here. Exactly. Ex- thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you have the Spanish Amer- or the Mexican American War happening at this time, yeah. and you're selling an island to this person who is giving it to the United States government, who you are fighting. 
it's a it's a strange situation. It is right? pretty strange. It is yeah. pretty strange, but I love the, I love how there's so many changing of hands and so many yeah. like discreet plots that nobody even knows about, and it's all centered around this stupid island. Yeah. So. So whatever. Again, fast forward, blah, blah, blah. The Mexican-American War ends. The California Gold Rush starts the very following year, 1849. That's why we have the 49ers. Right. So the U.S. Army at that point begins studying Alcatraz uh, for basically positioning themselves to protect the San Francisco Bay from any intruders. Alcatraz Island. So makes sense. Of course. Of course, it's perfect. In 1853, they start beginning to fortify the island until 1858. So they they do that. They have tons of soldiers. Now this, later, after they've started fortifying this, here again, 1858, they finish fortifying it, right? Uh-huh. 1861, the Civil War breaks out. So at that point, the island already had 85 cannons. At that point, now by the That's end a of a lot of cannons for one island. No joke. By the end of 1866, though, they have 105. <laughs> 105. And if you've ever been to Alcatraz, you're like, bruh, this machine gun island was wild then because that's a lot of cannons on this tiny thing. It's not very big, right? It's not very big. It's not very big uh, in terms of. Like what you would think an island. It's really small. It's, like, it's a cool like a island. Cannon, like every twenty feet, if you go over. <laughs> basically, basically a hundred and five cannons. So this was, it was built to be the most heavily fortified military site on the west coast, well, and completed just a few years before the Civil War officially starts. So here they are in the middle of already two wars. You have suspicious Alcatraz activity. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right? Over the course of, like, mm, I don't know, 20 years, Alcatraz yeah. has played a role in two different wars. It's very strange. It is so, very strange. So, <laughs> past that, or during the war, actually, uh, Alcatraz was used to imprison Confederate sympathizers. Mm-hmm. So, that's what, essentially, that's how you're like, okay, so, this is what makes me think that you guys were preparing for this. You have stocked this island up with tons of cannons. You can't get to the island. You'll be shot before you get there. Now, all of a sudden... And not just shot. You'll be fucking cannonballed off the face of the planet. Yeah. It'll look like Mario, all the bullets flying at you. It'll be stupid. (laughs) Like, you'll have eight square inches to avoid a bullet. It'll be dumb. Yeah. So, this was used... Then, uh, as as the like I said, for the Confederate people, they were housing them, of course, because it's the North and it's the most fortified thing in the world. So they were built then at at this point um, to form what they called a triangle of defense with uh, Fort Point and Lime Point. There was two different places. Lime Point was never actually built. It was in uh, just a lot of planning stages. Other than that, that's kind of all that happened during the war with the island. Oh, let's move down because there's a lot of really cool stuff here. Um, especially the military prison aspect. 
So they they held a lot of citizens that were accused of treason. And accusing okay. someone of treason is kind of like what Game of Thrones style, like, bitch, you're treacherous. Just grab them. And that's how it went down, yeah. right? So that's accusing people of treason. And that's after the writ of habeas corpus in the United States was suspended. So they started using this island for that at that point, which kind of reminds us of another famous island where they used to torture people. It's kind of strange. So we have, we have different things that are pretty repetitive throughout the government's history. Like, hey, let's get an island and torture people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the government starts buying up islands, it's time to get worried. <laughs> yeah, when you see the government come in and start putting cannons on an island, just leave. Just leave the country because you know something's coming. It's time to go. Some just go to Canada. Go. Let's all play hockey and eat maple syrup. It'll be fine and we'll, we'll be much happier. So <laughs> the werewolves and beavers will just have to stay out of our way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we don't. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> that is a whole uh, whatever, whatever. So let's move forward on Alcatraz's history because we're just giving you a rundown of the timeline because I just think it's a super interesting place and there's a lot of things we can touch on in the future about this too because there's a lot of very spooky stories about Alcatraz and there's a lot of things I love them too and one of my favorite things at Alcatraz to do is you can take the guided tour where you can Mm -hmm. put the headphones on and like you just go through the place with all the sounds and all the learning about it and like each cell and like you can see where all these different things happened because the damage and like the graffiti and certain things are still there. They've yeah. been left there from all these different like things that have happened on the island. So it's just a really cool historical place that I just I love I think that's my favorite part about San Francisco and the seafood other than oh, that. Sure. Yeah. So this 1867. Well, let's okay, let's just say this. During the Civil War of course, there was a lot of different changes. Um, they had a giant plan to level the entire island and construct shell-proof underground um, tunnels, basically. So they never completed this. Um, uh, still yet, the southern area of the island, um, you can still see where they started this, the, the flattening effort, and that's why it's flat there. I have a logistical question about building tunnels on an island. Uh-huh. Water? Well, like, <laughs> how do you know how far down you can go before it's a problem? <laughs> well, I don't know. My question is, where were you going? Where was this tunnel going? That, too. Is this just but... a Super Mario tunnel that's going to spit you out somewhere on the other side? Like, what is this? Where does your tunnel go, my dude? <laughs> Well, I mean, there are tunnel. There are tunnels that actually go, like, under bodies of water. Yes, yes, so there is. There's but, that. Uh, it's a I mile don't... and a half of open ocean from the island to shore. So I'm assuming that these tunnels were essentially just going to be a underground route for very top secret whatever they want to do things. Or just a way for them to drive to the island. Who knew? I don't know. 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. But this didn't happen. So you can still see all that on the southern end of the island where they started flattening the place out. Mm-hmm. They gave all this up. So they switched uh, focus on that from the coastal defense that they were going to use it for mm-hmm. to detention because they decided that it was much more well-suited uh, as a as a prison, continuing to be a prison because right. of the location, the isolation. So 1867, they build the brick jailhouse, the brick jailhouse. So previously, before what had happened, the, the inmates were kept in the basement of the guardhouse. So they didn't even have a legitimate like jailhouse. It, yeah. It's a strange thing. It was officially designated in 1868 as a long-term detention facility for military prisoners in 1868. It was discontinued for prisoners of war in 1946. So it ran for a long time. Yeah. Right? Like 70 years or 68 years, it was somewhere for prisoners of war. Again, <laughs> strange island. Yeah. <laughs> so the people, uh, and this went through several wars at that yeah. point. So remember all that. So the people that were in prison there were obviously the Confederates. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of Native American people who refused the orders that the government were giving out at the time to send their children away Mm-hmm. to Indian boarding schools because they right. were trying to assimilate all the Indians. Yeah. So this island now houses the people who refuse to assimilate. It houses the people who are prisoners of war and all the people that they want to keep in private away from the rest of the world while they do whatever they want to do with them. It's a strange fucking island, man. So, of course, there's yeah. going to be some spooky things. This yeah. is a spooky island with a lot of spooky history. Definitely. 1898, due to the Spanish-American War, the prison population went from 26 to 450. Whoa. That's a big, that's it's a a big, big jump. It's <laughs> a big jump. Big, big jump. So, um, blah, 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 I did that for a long time. 1906, we have the San Francisco earthquake. So civilian prisoners at that point were transferred to Alcatraz because of the location. It was safer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 1907, Alcatraz was officially designated as a Western U.S. military prison. Okay. Because they realized that it was just a better spot. Whatever. This, it was too late. You had all these prisoners here now. <laughs> and they needed to rebuild. It's filled with prisoners. We might as well just call it a prison. Yeah. yeah, instead of all the shady things we've been calling it, yeah. let's just call it a prison. So, but it was still under a shady term. It was designated as the Western U.S. Military Prison, which was later called the Pacific Branch of the U.S. Disciplinary Barracks. Whatever the hell that means. I was just about to say, what the hell does that mean? I don't even know. I don't know. That's some of those things that they want to keep on top secret folders, I guess. I don't I don't know. No. I don't know. So right after that, nineteen oh nine, 
they go to start constructing the giant main block cell, which is the prison now. Right. So in, in 1909. And uh, it, it still it remained the island's dominant feature, basically, and it still is. It's the biggest thing on there. Completed in 1912. It only took three years to build, which is pretty amazing. It's three stories yeah. out on an island. So whatever. That tunnel would have really come in handy. Oh, my God, it would have come in so <laughs> handy. Yes. Uh, so, uh, let's see. August 1934, is it is designated as a federal prison at that point. So, now we're into the 30s, which I think is funny because that's where we started lining up with your guy. I was just about to say. And I thought that was funny the whole time you were talking about him. We I was like, dude, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, August 11th, 1934. Okay, just a few days later, the first batch of 137 prisoners arrive. And Capone was in that first transfer, right? Um, no. So, the, most of the first prisoners were... Yes, bank robbers and a lot of people like that, murderers, Mm -hmm. they were uh, what they considered to be iron men. Yeah, so the the prison had officially like 155 staff, and the first people that, that came in there, it doesn't really talk a whole lot about the first ones. I don't know the first batch. But I don't believe that Capone was in that first batch. I can look and see mm. when he was transferred. I won. I would love to know this. He was in cell number 181. That I knew. Hmm. Look at you. So the 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 prison staff, the guys that guarded the the cells, that's who they were calling the Iron Men. They were specifically trained. For that he was prison. transferred to the new Alcatraz prison in August of 1934. So he was. So it was. Yeah, he was one of. In he that was first one batch. of the first ones. I there thought, you go. I thought he was, but I. So I wonder why it doesn't sure. talk about that. I never found that. That's interesting. I never found that detail, but that was a that, that's something really good to know. I don't remember that. So it was in 29 years of use for a prison. And like I it said, we are. It seems like it would have been longer. Get, right, given the fact the whole history they had, it was seventy years as a POW camp. Yeah. But we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. Do the tours talk about that? I don't. I went to the last tour I was on was like I was thirteen, I think, maybe thirteen. Oh. You live like right there. Why don't you go again? It's California's huge. It's I don't live right there. Yeah, I know. It's huge. I know. It's like when people are like, how close are you to Houston? I'm like, probably about the same as you are. (laughs) Right. And you're in Iowa. not close. Exactly. No, I'm not. I think so. If I was to drive from where I am to the San Francisco Bay, it would probably take eight hours. Between seven and eight hours, depending on how many times I stopped. Something like that. That's a long time. Worth it. Worth it. Been there. <laughs> but a but a flight's only forty five minutes. It's about forty five minutes or so from LAX to 
San Francisco. It's that's worth it, right? So like you I said, drive for eight hours then deal with an airport like LAX. LAX is not that bad. It's pretty streamlined. Just the traffic, the traffic of the parking and everything else. It's pretty streamlined if you fly a lot. Which, by the way, like when people say the flight's only forty-five minutes, I'm like, okay. You're only like in the air for 45 minutes, but there's like yes. a two hour preparation at least. And then there's like the additional hour just to get the hell out of the next airport with a rented car and all that other bullshit. Fuck it, I'll drive. Okay, that makes sense. But like as far as like when we go to Vegas or something like that, there's no point. You're just you're bouncing from a local airport to a Vegas airport and that's yeah. nowhere. That's you just pack a little suitcase with you and you just go. But didn't y'all drive last time? We did last time, yeah. Yeah. But it's easy. You just sleep anyway. Facts. <laughs> so uh, obviously, like you said, you touched on the fact that Al Capone was yeah. within the first ones. So you had all kinds of people. Bumpy Johnson. You had a political terrorist, Rafael Cancel Miranda. He was a member of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party that attacked the United States Capitol building in 1954. Just going to jot that down real quick because I feel like that needs to be remembered. Mm-hmm. So his name is Rafael Cancel. It's C-A-N-C-E-L, just like the word Miranda. And then uh, a bunch of others, Mickey Cohen, Doc Barker, Creepy Carpus, all these people. Good ones, good ones. So during this time, of course, the penitentiary was claiming that no prisoner had successfully escaped for 29 years. So a total of 36 prisoners made 14 escape attempts. Two men trying twice. Uh, they were 23 were caught alive, six mm-hmm. were shot and killed during their escape, two drowned, and five are listed as missing and presumed drowned. Those five are the ones that I will eventually do an episode on. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear <laughs> all these cool things. There's so much cool stuff about Alcatraz. Like, you can break this down into 10 different episodes. Oh, yeah. This definitely. doesn't even touch on. Like all the other things that there's so much, there's so much deep history here, right? Yeah, definitely. So the most violent incident with an escape occurred in 1946. The six prisoners led to the Battle of Alcatraz when the six people tried to escape. Perhaps the uh, the most famous is the uh, Mr. Frank Morris, John Anglin, and Clarence Anglin. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Mm-hmm. The three men are believed to have drowned in their attempt. Most men... I'm going to just go ahead and say I don't think they drowned. I think they successfully escaped. I think they successfully escaped, too. <laughs> I think they don't want to admit that... Oh, no. I think they quit tra- I think they quit looking for them, because if they found yep. them, they would have to admit that they successfully escaped. 100%. They don't want to admit. I, I fully agree that they actually made it. Yeah, I do, too. So, here's... This actually happened, though, 1962. You have a prisoner, John Paul Scott. He escapes and makes it to the shore. Mm -hmm. So he was so tired, though, when he got to the shore, he passed out. 
So <laughs> police found him unconscious on the shore in hypothermic shock. <laughs> right, because the water is so, super cold, right? <laughs> yes, insanely cold. So this is the only one that they like uh, documented that they were like, yeah, he, he got out and we caught him. Yeah, right. he got out, but he didn't go anywhere. He we didn't go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. So now we actually have uh, the escape from Alcatraz triathlon because of all these different things. <laughs> it's a it's a thing that happens every year. Um, part of it, part of it is to swim that 1.5 miles from the island to the shore. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's and interesting. It terrible and like something I would not want to do ever. No, obviously prisoners are not in the shape that they need to be to do it. So well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, hundred percent. So at this point, the prison is pretty much done. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a ton of reasons why Alcatraz closes. The main reason at this point in 1963, right? Mm-hmm. So this is literally one year after the guy that just escaped and they found him on the shore. Yeah. The next year, they basically decide to close the penitentiary down because the operating cost of this little island was $10 per prisoner per day, while the average land-based was $3 per prisoner per day. So over, you're talking three, uh, three point whatever times the amount, which is a lot. That's insane when you have that many prisoners. So of course, at this point, they're done. They're done with the prison. They close it, and that's it. Now they have all these different people that want to repurpose the island, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen. 1964, 1964, the island is occupied by Native Americans during a protest. So I've read about that. I'd kind of forgotten about it. This is a, this is a really cool part. One of the most um, interesting things that stuck with me when I did the tour, too was mm-hmm. this Native American occupation, because there's a lot of really cool things that you can still see from the thing. So it's it's really badass. So um, there's a bunch of people that join this movement, right? A bunch of different Native Americans, because at this point, remember, they're trying to assimilate still. They've been right. pushing them hard for yeah. years. So beginning November 20th, 1969, there's a group of Native Americans called the United Indians of All Tribes. Mm-hmm. So it's a bunch of uh, college students from San Francisco, which is, you know, that's just tradition. Hippie college students from San Francisco <laughs> have to protest something. So at this point, these guys decide to occupy the island to protest federal policies related to the American Indians. Um and a lot of these guys were children also who had been relocated mm-hmm. because of the Bureau of Indians Affairs, uh, what they call the Indian termination policy. Just get rid of them. The Indian termination policy. Yeah. So that's a, a series of laws, uh, like, again, basically geared toward the assimilation of Native Americans into the mainstream society. And also um, government thing sanctioned genocide yes 100 percent that 100 percent that so the government sucks but For this sure. is the first time that the government has really not been in 
um, active control of the island. Yeah. Uh, since since basically before California was a territory. Yeah. So it's 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 a cool point in history. Um, they stay on As the island. Go, that's pretty good. It's pretty badass. Yeah. And it gets even cooler. So they stay on the island for almost two years. Wow. These guys occupy the island for almost two years. Um, that's awesome. They demanded that all the facilities on the islands be adapted and new structures be built for Indian education. Um, they wanted an ecology center and a cultural center on the island. They wanted that island to be theirs. Basically to, I felt like reparations at that point. Like that's what they that want. That sounds like a pretty damn good use for it as opposed to just leaving it there. Yeah. And charging people what I understand is a fairly ungodly amount for tours. Oh, I'm sh- I couldn't even imagine. I don't even remember. I want to think it's like $75 a person or something. Oh, I sh- I'm sure. I cannot, like, obviously I didn't pay at that time. My mom paid for me to go. It was a yeah. long time ago, but there, it's, it's, it was a lot of fun. I guarantee it's expensive as hell. So I, I really, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. So they stay here for two years. They start demanding all these things. So they claim the island by provisions of the Treaty of Fort Laramie from 1868, which was between the U.S. and the Sioux. They said the treaty promised to return all retired, abandoned, or out-of-use federal lands to the native peoples from whom they were acquired, right? So at this point, the government's not using the island. And they jumped on that loophole. They They were like... It's really good. That's very smart of them. So all the Indians of all kinds of different tribes claim Alcatraz by the right of discovery, what they call that. Um, Mm -hmm. This is basically it. Generations of uh, Indians knew about the Alcatraz Island, and they're saying that their people had been there for at least 10,000 years before any European people were there on the island, i.e. the Spanish, right? So, which there was proof. There was actual proof that their Native Americans were on that island. So this is what they essentially were staking their claim to. Um, It was 19 months. During the 19 months on the island, a bunch of buildings were damaged and destroyed by fire. And this is a lot of stuff you can still see. A lot of the damage. The fire damage. Um, there was actually, there's a spot where a grenade was thrown through a window and you can see that still where it like blew up through the window. It was, it's wild. And that is wild. a little unrelated, but they do have the wall cut open to where you can see the path where they dug through the wall, like in the rock. Yeah. The, okay, so escape from Alcatraz, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 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 So they have that wall behind like plexiglass and stuff. You can see that tunnel and you can see all that. It's really cool. But of course, a little unrelated. So um, the light keeper's house was damaged. The warden's home, all these things. Coast Guard quarters, blah, blah, blah. The origins of the fire is disputed. Nobody wants to. OK, right. Right. <laughs> this is when I kind of wish that we posted our videos. <laughs> right, the look on your face. Because the eyebrow raise like, does not translate. <laughs> excuse me? Disp- yeah. <laughs> it's very dumb. Very dumb. So during this time, there's a lot of things that were going on. 
Um, during the occupation of the island, we have Richard Nixon as president. He rescinded the Indian termination policy, which was uh, where they were trying to assimilate, right? Mm-hmm. They, so that that's good. He yeah. rescinded that. He established a new policy of self-determination uh, as part of the result of yeah. the publicity and blah, blah, blah. So the occupation then ended in 1971 after these whatever. But honestly, nothing was ever given to the Indians. And there's a lot of that. That itself is a whole episode. Nothing was ever given to the Native Americans. There was a lot of different things that were talked about. And I'm sure a lot of things um, that were promised that nothing really did anything. So um, 2007. Okay, a global peace foundation proposed to raise the prison, level the prison, and build a peace center there. Uh, you got it had like ten thousand three hundred signatures. Um, but in two thousand eight, the Alcatraz Island Global Peace Center proposition failed to pass. So, of course, they don't want to do that. Why would they do that? It's a giant tourist trap. Yeah. $49, by the way, for the day tour, which is the only bad. thing that there's... It's really not. It's not as expensive as I thought. Um, but it's only like two and a half hours. There are other tours, but I don't know. Maybe it's just because of... Still because of COVID, they're not... You can't buy tickets for like the night. There's a night tour and uh, a behind-the-scenes okay. tour that they still show on their website, but it doesn't actually give you ticket prices. So I'm guessing they're just not running those right now. Probably so. That's that's probably so, and that might even be a discounted ticket price for the it situations at hand. Yeah, that's true. Who knows? So I'm saying that the reason they didn't want to hand this over is simply money. Number yeah. one, the, the U.S. government is not going to turn over this land and dedicate it to an Indian thing and destroy all this when they do that. So yeah. Alcatraz during a 2018 report just visitors the people that book the tickets and go see alcatraz 1.7 million per year now imagine like you're saying a minimum of 50 dollars per person at 1.7 million people per year annually three years ago yeah so uh, i'm saying a little more now and that's pretty wild yeah that's that's same amount of money that's generated. So that's that's what I'm guessing they, they decided to. No, you guys can not do anything you want to with that land. It's basically ours. And I know there's some ego in there, too. Like, they don't necessarily want to turn that over and then have it be a monument to all the shitty things that they did. Right. Well, how do you know what, the, you know? Like, yeah. yes, you really need to uh, be honest about the history of this island because it, it's way deeper than people even know. You think Alcatraz Island and all you think is a prison, but yeah, in reality that was too. 29 years. Yeah, I, I'm sure that I'm sure that I actually had that information because I knew that Capone was on in that first group of prisoners. Yeah, but it just seems like 29 years of being a prison does not seem like it's long enough for the fact that we just consider it like. Alcatraz immediately is a prison island. (laughs) You know that when people say the word Alcatraz, it's a prison. Yeah. 
of what it was made basically pop culture by the movies essentially yeah. at the yeah. at, during one period at least so people knew the word yeah. and it was hollywood yeah it definitely like, there's definitely and the fact that um capone being there and all of the circumstances like the fact that he was allowed so many things that other prisoners would never oh, have been God, allowed yes. and like his cell was basically like a freaking parlor yes there's a that lot of things kind of, yeah yeah i i like i like all the history and and there's so much more we could discuss about all the different things yeah. that took place there could be an episode on each one the indian That's the right. native american history the yeah. mob related history and why capone was treated differently um there's yeah. a lot of different things the haunted history Mm, there's so much haunted history there's a lot (laughs) and that's what i was hoping would inspire you because i want to hear your perspective on the haunted history of alcatraz so i'm hoping you'll do that by prisons as haunted locations anyway Uh uh-huh what about native american burial ground prisons that's just like that's just doubling down right (laughs) like this is a lot of energy um there's one story from Alcatraz about somebody who was, and now I can't remember who it was. You might know, who swore that they were seeing the ghost of someone they murdered. Uh, not sure. I'm gonna have to look. I I will have to do some research on that because I've read it, but now I can't remember. I can't remember if it's somebody famous or if it's only famous because of the haunting story. Okay. Um. Hang on, let me see if I can find it real fast. Just so I can say who it is. Apparently they have a haunted tour. Yeah. There's a lot. At least they did at some point. Sure, probably not during COVID. Because of the nighttime thing, that's probably what that was. Yeah, I think that... um, I think they did a specific overnight... Mm. That would be badass. Thing that would be badass. I would a hundred percent do that. You can do that in LA a lot. Like you know the Black Dahlia house and different things like that. You can go stay overnight what? in Doctor Hodel's house. I don't know. I just know the different. I've never gone, but I know people rent them out for parties, and they'll just they'll rent out the whole freaking house, and you pay so much to go be one of the people at the house overnight. Like, That'd be kind of cool. It's pretty bitchin'. Here's my only hesitation on doing things like that. If you don't know everybody who's involved, like, if you're just, like, buying a ticket and there's, like, 40 people or whatever, however many people. These aren't normal people either, so it's pretty expensive. Right. But on top of that, when you don't know who's there with you, like, you couldn't really... I mean, you would have to just shrug off anything that happened because you would never be able to know whether it was something haunted or just somebody that's, like, does these things just to freak people out. That's true. That's very like, true. You couldn't ever really be like, I definitely had a haunted experience because how could you possibly be sure that it just wasn't a person... You couldn't. It could be staged. purpose for being there was to freak people out. Yeah. But I still think it would be a lot of fun to go it do psychedelics in a haunted house. Yeah. I, I mean, I would for sure still do it. 
I'm down. I'm down. Okay, it was Capone who claimed that he was haunted by the ghosts of his victims. Okay. However, comma, <laughs> he was also in advanced stages of syphilis at that point. So. It, it's super advanced. Super advanced. And what that means is he has supernatural powers now. Maybe so. <laughs> he can see all the different ghosts. Maybe that's it. Maybe syphilis gives you the ability to see ghosts. I'm not looking to find out. I was going to suggest that you give it a try and let me know, but um, mm-hmm. no? Nothing. Maybe um, wanna, uh, I'm going to say listeners. maybe that was part of Hitler's problem. <laughs> I mean, he had syphilis. You can, that's, I mean, okay. That could be part of Hitler's problem. Maybe that does make you go mentally ill. Syphilis. Well, I mean, it does. Like, mad, I mean, make you go mad. Yeah, it definitely it definitely affects people's brains, so. Mm. Don't get syphilis, kids. Fun fact, there is a really entertaining documentary called High Hitler. Watch that shit. <laughs> Where, what's it on? I've seen it on the History Channel, so I don't know if they have a streaming thing. They have an app, but I, I have them on the app. They're also on Disney+. Plus. I think Disney has them now. The History Channel is under there. Some stuff. But I doubt High Hitler is on Disney+. Plus. It's so funny. I mean, it's not meant to be funny, but it's still funny. I don't know. I feel like if anybody could incorporate Hitler into a cartoon, it would be Disney. So, it, like, I'm just going <laughs> to go ahead and throw that out there. That <laughs> <laughs> like, they did, they quit doing that a long time ago, to be politically correct. But, man, oh, man, did they hide a lot of things in their cartoons. Uh, like, a yeah. lot. Well, that and the fact that Walt Disney was famously anti-Semitic, so. Mm. Not a great guy. Drew a great mouse. Not a great guy. Poor guy. Poor mouse. Although. Poor steamboat, really. Although, here's the thing about that. He's dead and the mouse is still alive, so... <laughs> True. Who really came out on top of that situation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that mouse, 100%. That's For the sure. most money grossing animal of all time. I love that Guaranteed. mouse so much. I'm a complete yeah. Disney whore, and I'm not sorry about it at all. I wouldn't be either. I love me some you got Disney. That wop. I got that yeah. w- Disney WAP. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have never been to Disneyland. I have only been to Disney World. So you have to come out here then. Um, Disneyland is opening up to non-California residents this month, I believe. I just I'm, heard that, like, just this week. Yeah. Which is so exciting. They, it was nice of them to give us our time first. Like, yeah. Let only the Californians hang out here. Because we always get a California, like, a resident discount. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not crap. It's really, come on, it's Disney. You guys are making millions upon millions every day. So I always tell people, if you want to do Disney World, because Disney World's the one I know, go online, pick all the things that you think you want to do. Put it all in a reservation. Look at the bottom line. Are you comfortable with that number? If you're not, you're not going to Disney. Mm-mm. Because Cause it's expensive. It's, like, it's going to cost you. Oh, yeah. You're not going to do it. Don't, like... I've talked to two or three of my friends that are like, oh, will you help me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, well, we think we're going to, you know, 
we're going to stay off property and we're going to have a kitchen and we're going to do food here. I'm like, mm, 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 mm. nope, no, Mm-mm. you're not. Because what will happen is you will be in the park and then you will have a hungry, cranky child. And then it will not matter to you that dinner is going to cost you $85. It will be worth it to stop no. the crying. Just plan on spending the $85. Thank you.